from the book of James uh, in the Bible, and um, it, it's an interesting book because it talks about particularly a theme in the book. It's not the longest book in the Bible. In fact, you can you can read it in probably about 20 minutes and go through it and then kind of reread it. But I want to talk about faith in action, or how James puts it is faith and works, and he talks about this particular theme. And uh, we're going to particularly look at James chapter 2 today, verses 14 to 26, that particular area of James. There's a lot of some great themes about James. James is a great book if you're wanting to really double check um, that you're aligning to how to walk out your walk with God. It's a great book to read. It's a book that will naturally humble you. It's quite challenging, the book of James. Um, It it will, uh, you know, if you're kind of thinking you're doing really, really well, then just read the book of James and you probably kind of go, okay, I need to work on some things. So it's a great uh, book to kind of use as a benchmark to see how well are you aligned in your walk. Um, and so I think it's been written from in, in that spirit. It's been written as a spirit. It's a, quite a tough book in terms of, you know, James is being quite direct and, and, and strong in his approach. But who knows that tough love is sometimes a good thing. Okay, not always a good thing, but in balance, it's a good thing. But I want to talk about, it does talk about faith. And it talks about, you know, when we're doing water baptisms today, by getting water baptized, that's actually an example of activating your faith and stepping out by faith by making that decision. And so I thought it was timely to do some teaching from the book of James. And we know that faith is a very big key in terms of being a Christian. And I think because faith is such a big key... It does sometimes, you know, it it sometimes is not easy to navigate. Sometimes our understanding of faith can be compromised a little bit. Um, We can get a little bit uh, imbalanced when it comes to exactly understanding how to walk out our faith. And so I think with James, it's important because in a lot of other teachings in the New Testament, particularly by Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul talks about that faith that salvation comes by faith in Jesus alone, not by works. And we know that that's true. Who knows that that's true? That you're not saved, you don't go to heaven because you're good enough or because how well you perform or, you know, how many scriptures you know. Uh, that that is, is not true, that you're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's none of, none of your own ability to be righteous. You're righteous before God because of what Jesus has done for you. And that's why they call it the good news. And so Paul takes quite a significant time in teaching in the New Testament where he really wants to drum that into the headspace and the hearts of of men and women of God. And that's why it's a big theme throughout the Bible where you know, we talk where he talks about that it's faith in Christ, it's faith in Jesus, not by works. But then James actually wants to complement. Some people have argued he contradicts, but he doesn't contradict, but he complements because he knows, and Paul even has got some particular scriptures that he has written in the Bible, Apostle Paul, where he also follows through and agrees with James that even though your salvation is by faith and faith alone in Christ, not by works, it's important though that once we receive respond to the gospel and we put our faith in Jesus and therefore we are saved and we have eternal life, then to walk this walk called the faith walk, we have to also appropriate that the way to activate or to exercise our faith is that God will ask us to do things and that fruitfulness will come from our obedience in doing those things because our faith is in God. And so James is actually writing this book 
to a particular group of people. He's actually writing it to a group of Christians who, at that particular point in the church history, are somewhat confused. They're a little bit confused because there's some signs that, yes, they've taken the scripture of its faith in Christ, but we don't have to do anything to be saved. But then they've taken that beyond to the point where maybe they're getting a little bit lazy with their faith. They're actually not activating their faith. And so we're going to look at some examples around how it's important to look at James's teaching. In fact, he's encouraging the people of God. He's challenging the people of God. He's somewhat correcting the people of God to try and bring that balance and that alignment because he knows that with the Holy Spirit partnering, that when you step out by faith and you activate things, then then the fruitfulness comes and you, you give real evidence to other people around you that God is real and that your faith is real. And so that's the theme that we're going to look at. So I want to first talk about this idea of James uh, talking about dead faith. Okay, can everyone say dead faith? Dead faith. So James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. I'm going to read this particular part of the scripture. And then we're going to break it down, okay? So in James 2, 14 to 26, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Verse 15, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? So what's interesting is the theme here about when he's questioning faith without works, he's not, and when he uses the word save, when you look at the Greek, he's not talking about the same word that's talking about salvation, okay? Because faith, salvation comes by faith and faith alone in God, okay? So he's not challenging that teaching of Paul. What he's talking about is what does it profit a, a man of God? What does it profit a woman of God? As in, when we look at the word profit, we look at the word progress, fruitfulness. Basically what he's saying, yes, your salvation comes by faith and faith alone, but what progress and what fruitfulness comes by faith, by responding to the gospel, being saved, having salvation, but then not activating your faith, stepping out by faith, being transformed, adjusting your behavior to do great things for God, to bless people, to, to witness to people, to pray for people to actually provide some help and assistance to people. Is this making sense to everyone? So that's what he means by um, what does it profit? What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? And so verse 17, thus, thus also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works And I will show you my faith by my works. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. So remember, he's not, he's speaking to a group of people who obviously have shown signs where they're not activating their faith. So he's really challenging them in a good way. And he says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Listen to this. He says, you believe that there is one God, so you have faith in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe that there is one God. You have faith. But then he actually, so he says, you do well. He's a little little bit cynical there. You think you do well by saying that you have faith in God. But then he actually is quite challenging. And then he goes on here, listen to this. He says in verse 19, even the demons believe and tremble. Verse 20, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead. So what he's saying there is that, well, 
just believing in Jesus, that's great, but that's not really meaning that your faith is activated because belief by itself is, you know, there are other people, as in he's referring to demonic spirits that believe in God, but yet are they obviously activating their faith in God? No, they believe in God. They're afraid of God. We're going to look at another part of Scripture where, you know, the demons are pretty much saying, yeah, God's real and the Scriptures are true and, and you know, we're afraid by that. So he's saying that even demons were actually referring to the truth of God. But yet that's why he's saying we've got to appropriate that it's not just about believing in God. Yes, that's the stepping stone. That's the starting point. But where we're to be fruitful with our faith is we've got to step out. We've got to activate our faith. So he's using the comparison of saying, hey, be careful that you don't just think it's all about just believing in Jesus. It is about believing in Jesus, but we've got to step out and actually activate our faith, actually provide some works behind that to activate the faith that we really believe in Jesus. Amen. And so in verse 20, it says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? As in, he's challenging. Do you really want to listen to what I've got to say? Do you really care that what I'm about to teach you is something that's going to be important for you to catch? It's going to help you to transition from just that place of belief into a place of your faith being activated where the power of God can start to move in your life. He's actually throwing a question out there. Do you, do you really care? Are you really listening? Are you being attentive? Do you, do you actually want to hear what I have to say? And then he goes on and he says, was not Abraham, so he refers to an an Old Testament example, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? So he was saying, wasn't Abraham an example of someone who had faith but activated their faith, actually uh, made some choices to activate their faith? He actually was willing to lay down his son for God. Is that not an example? And therefore, he was justified by his faith. Do you see that faith was working together when his work and by works faith was made perfect. Verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Verse 24, you see then, James says, that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Not that his salvation is justified by works, but a man, meaning his walk with God, meaning that when we actually walk with God, We're making choices and decisions to step out by faith and to activate our faith. And therefore, our identity as a Christian actually gets justified or confirmed before other people that, yes, this Jesus, this person believes in. They don't just believe in Jesus. They are actually walking by faith because I can see this is breaking through. I can see this is happening. I can see that there's a power on them. I can see there's something different. I can see that they don't do that. I can see that they do make this decision. I can see that they're stepping out by here. I can see that they're actually walking in this thing called faith. You see, verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Verse 25, likewise, was not Rahab, he now refers to another example in the Old Testament, was not Rahab the harlot, harlot is another word for prostitute, also justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. We'll look at that story a little bit later, but in case we don't get enough time to look into that story, you know, that story about Rahab was that she was in a particular land that the, the, the men of God went into to spy out the land. And the, the king of that territory obviously didn't want the men of God to survive because they were coming in to spy to try and work out how could they take over that territory. So Rahab was in that land 
underneath the authority of that king. And the men of God came in and God actually asked her to help them to hide so that the king's army could not kill those men. And she decided to hide them. And then she was even challenged to actually unhide them uh, by the king's men. And she refused to and she obeyed God. And then she went from because of that by having that faith that was activated because it was a risk. By that, then, then what happened is, is that she transitioned, her life transitioned from being a prostitute and then God opened doors where she then went into a life of blessing, of favor, and even became uh, the bloodline to some of the great men and women of God that we speak about often. So Rahab was an example there. Likewise, was not, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without works is dead also. So let's get some balance here. We know that faith, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone, not by works. You are saved by faith. Everyone say amen to that. But after we get saved, our response then is starting to walk out our faith. And therefore, we have to activate our faith. We have to actually, we're going to be asked by God to do things, to step out, to make choices. Sometimes we might falter because we have fear, which is the opposite to faith, or where we've got unbelief. But this is where the good fight of faith comes. And so my challenge to everyone today, really just piggybacking off James's challenge, is that it's important for us as men and women of God to evaluate where our faith is at. And the great measuring stick, he's saying, is the level of activation of your faith. It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to actually step out and to activate your faith because then your faith is alive. And if it's alive, there's life in it. And therefore, it brings a reproduction power and fruitfulness and things happen. Whereas you can believe, but if you don't actually activate your faith, your faith then is dead. And therefore, there's not the fruit. There's not the promises of God. There's not the walking out by faith. And therefore, you don't necessarily actually see your identity in Christ being justified in terms of it being walked out and you don't see the evidence or other people don't see the evidence of the breakthroughs in your life. You're still saved, but you won't see the progress because there's been times when God's asked you to step out and to activate your faith, make choices, to believe in Him by stepping out and doing something, making a choice. And through that process, God strengthens your faith. He strengthens your spiritual muscle. He solidifies your identity. He opens doors. He births new things in your life. He, he enables the promises of God to manifest. And so this, why, this is why James has a vested interest in saying, hey, men and women of God, where is your faith in terms of it? being alive, it being something that you step out with, because that's the best measuring stick to look at your spiritual health check. Can everyone turn to someone next to you, beside you, around you and say, mm-hmm, it's a spiritual health check day. Now turn to the other person and say, you know what, I don't mind this guy called James. He's okay, he's a bit tough, but he's all right. Some of you might be saying, I don't like this guy. James is real direct. Okay, so faith or works. So do we get to heaven through faith in what Christ has done on the cross? Yes. Uh, Do we get there by being good people and doing lots of good things? No. That's truth right there. So everyone say, lock it in. (laughs) Lock that revelation in, all right? That's truth, all right? 
It's not truth if you think that the way to get to heaven or the way for God to love you or the way to earn eternal life is by what you do. That cannot happen. It is impossible because it doesn't matter how good you are as a human being, you will still fall short of the glory of God. You still fall short of the mark that earns your place into heaven. And therefore, that's why we call it the gospel. It's the good news because there's nothing I have to do. That can earn my place in heaven. It's all what Jesus has done for me. And I actually just by faith accept Jesus. I give my life to him and I embrace the gift that he's given me, which is eternal life. And that's good news. Everyone say good news. So we're saved by faith in Christ for what he's done for us. Paul seems to have settled this question in Romans 4, 1 to 5. He says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness." So in a simple way, where's Chris, Ben Naitaiko? He's basically saying, um, it's not by works, it's by faith. All right. Romans 3.28. This is the scripture. It says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So it's by faith, not by works. So Paul is clear, and I'm, I'm, I'm deliberately pressing into this point because we're going to look at the teaching of James, but we're going to have the foundation of the teaching of Paul so that we make sure we distinguish the difference. Paul is clear that you cannot, everyone say cannot, you cannot earn your way to heaven, but you have to get there by faith alone in the finished work of the cross. Everyone say amen to that. And then James says his bit. He says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. So some people are going, well, isn't this a bit of a contradiction? Well, again, when we look at the Greek and we look at the words, he's actually complimenting what Paul's saying. He's not contradicting it because he's saying the word justified is more about his actual identity, being a man of God, being a real Jesus follower among other men is giving evidence that his faith is real, that Christ is real, because he's willing to step out and activate his faith, not just stand around and just tell people that he believes in Jesus, but he actually walks by faith. So this is the challenge. Can everyone hear the challenge that James is making? And to make things worse, it's interesting because Martin Luther, who actually is the great reformer, who actually you know, hung those declarations of faith on the Catholic Church door because the Catholic Church was teaching that it was by works that you were saved and that's how they encouraged people to give money at the time in those dark ages of the 1500s. And so he really created a revolution in the body of Christ and he declared that it's your salvation is not by works but it's by faith and faith alone. So even Martin Luther has been reported that when he read what James was saying, he was saying, well, you really have to study this properly because it actually can seem like it's a contradiction. And so that's why it's important for me to talk about this. So let's understand it's, it's a complementary statement to make sure that we're balanced and we're making sure that, yes, our salvation is from faith, but also to respond to that, we still need to be open for God to ask us to do things, to actually, you know, pray for people, to feed the poor, to build the church, to do things that are activating our faith. It's not just sitting around going, well, I'm right. I believe in Jesus, so I can just sit here and have a holiday. 
We have to respond as the body of Christ. We have got work to do. We've got a mission from heaven to build the church, to build the kingdom of God, to reach the lost, to uh, spread the good news of the gospel, to make disciples. This is a great, great mission field that we have. And so James is bringing a balance here. Can I give everyone, everyone to say amen to that? All right. <clears throat> so our works actively demonstrates our faith. That's what James is saying. Our works doesn't save us, but our work actively demonstrates our faith to each other, to ourselves, to God, and to the world. So it is important. We don't just throw it away because it's not an actual key ingredient to being saved. But once being saved, we should respond in obedience to God to start to walk out this walk called faith and start to make choices. It's about changing behavior, changing lifestyle. It's about starting to go on this faith journey um, called progress. And so let me illustrate this a little bit. So imagine your neighbor is desperate. They've got no food. Their clothing is so old it's turned into rags. And no matter how hard they try, they can't get a job. And you're relaxing, watching TV when there's a knock on your door. And you open the door and there's your neighbor. And you haven't seen him for a while. You take a look at him and say, wow, Bob, have you lost a lot of weight or what? And he says... We need help. We're starving. And if my, clothes get any, if my clothes get any thinner, I might as well not wear them at all. And you say this, gee, golly gosh, wow, that's too bad. I wish I could help. I really do. We're down to only three meals a day. I haven't bought a new shirt for two weeks. But hey, Let me pray for you. Everyone say, ooh, challenging. So James asks, what sort of faith is that? Who thinks that this is a little bit of a benchmark? Because real faith is demonstrated by real action, he's saying. In verse 18 of our passage, he says, Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. He's challenging the people. He's kind of going, come on, let's duel. Not that he's boasting or getting proud, but he's really challenging the people. He's saying, hey, let's, let, let's talk about faith, but let's talk about the reality check of faith. The reality check of faith is there has to be some kind of a sign or fruit of your faith somewhere in your life. And usually it's by the choices that you make and how you respond to certain situations. So he's not saying here that you, if, you, if you did that to your neighbor, that you wouldn't be saved. He's not saying that. He's not saying that you would lose your salvation by making that choice. But he's actually challenging the people. He's saying, by making those types of choices regularly, that would be a sign that your faith, you may believe in Jesus all you want, but your faith is somewhat dead. Turn the person next to you and go, ouch, this is a bit tough. Ouchie. That's, my, that's Zara's comment when she hurts herself. Ouchie. So what he's saying is the implication is that without works, it is not possible to demonstrate the reality of your faith. In fact, he's actually just picking up on Jesus' theme in Matthew 25, Matthew 25, verses 37 to 40. And this is the scripture. 
Then the righteous will answer him saying, so this is Jesus doing teaching now. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? Verse 38. When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So Jesus himself had an expectation that faith would be demonstrated in practical good works. So we're not talking about uh, miracles or healings here or doing things to be saved. We're just talking about doing good things for people in need. Works actively demonstrates the reality of our faith. So we don't have works to be saved. Salvation comes by faith and faith alone. Having said that, James is saying, whoa! Let's just balance it up a little bit here. Let's just challenge the people because Jesus himself is interested by how we respond to the gospel in actually serving humanity. Now, you may be wondering why do sometimes I preach one message and then the message, you know, that you know doesn't link well. Last Sunday, I was actually talking about heroes, and the big theme last Sunday was being an unseen hero. Yeah? So being willing to do things for God, to bless people, but not necessarily having to kind of, you know, tell everyone about it and put it all on Facebook. Right? Because if everything that you do for God has to go on Facebook, there's a problem. It's called a motivational problem. In fact, Jesus, I was talking about being an unseen hero, is that God is very interested in, are we willing to do stuff without having to be recognized for it? And that was a challenge last Sunday. This Sunday, we're talking about that our faith, it has to be not just about having faith in Jesus and talking about belief, but there has to be some type of signal sign. God's interested in how we step out by the choices that we make, by the things that we invest our time into, by what we do. Meaning, we're going to look at sometimes, I'm a big believer in prayer, but sometimes it's important not just to pray for someone when they're in a need. Sometimes it's important to actually be the answer to that need. Because we can say, I'm going to believe God for you. But sometimes the answer would come if we just ask the Holy Spirit, what do we need to do practically? And then we can actually help to bring a breakthrough. You know what I love about this church is that this church, we're already exercising this. We've got amazing people in our church. I mean, I'm hearing stories every week about this person organizing this meal for someone or this person actually just, you know, randomly putting money into someone's bank account and this person here helping out with something here and this person buying some groceries for people and this person going to the other person's house because their children were sick and so cooking food. I mean, we hear feedback all the time. I mean, it's just awesome, our community. So I'm already preaching to the converted, but I think this is healthy for us, particularly as a community, when we're exercising our faith. Now, this is a great way for us to, to know that our faith is alive. Amen. The next thing I want to talk about is not only our works actively demonstrate, demonstrates our faith, but I want to also talk about that faith alone 
in terms of walking with God is not enough. You need to step out. So isn't it inspiring to read about Peter's confession of faith um, in Jesus as the Son of God in Matthew 16, 16? You know, that part of Scripture where Jesus then responds and says, you know, wow, well and done, good and faithful servant. This has been revealed to you by my Father, and on this rock of revelation I will build my church. You know that how part of the Bible? I mean, that's really inspiring to see that. It got Jesus' attention, and Jesus pronounced a blessing on Peter because he had received a revelation from the Father. But here's something interesting. Demons made amazing confessions of faith as well. In Mark 1.24, a demon said to Jesus, I know, you, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. In Mark 5.7, another demon said to him, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? They knew who Jesus was. They made the right confession. But no demon is ever going to heaven. And this is why James is saying that faith alone, it's important that our salvation does come from our confession as a human being, but also as we walk out this great walk, it's about making sure we're being activated by our faith. Now, there's a reason why I'm preaching this message. I'm preaching this message because I think it's important that today we're learning how to unblock sometimes the blockage in our faith. Come on our church. Who's keen to grow? Come on now, who knows that growing is uncomfortable? Why am I standing on a chair? To get your attention. Who knows that you cannot grow unless you're willing to be uncomfortable? Awesome. So I want to encourage you that sometimes there's a blockage in our faith. And usually the blockage of our faith is not necessarily because we've stopped believing We might be having moments of doubt or fear or frustration, but it's not because we've stopped believing. It's because we've stopped activating our faith. We've stopped stepping out by faith. We've stopped responding to the reality of who we believe in and actually stepping out by faith because he's asking us to do this, making a choice here. So one of the best ways to activate your faith a fresh way is to step out and to activate it. This is why James is saying that faith alone isn't enough sometimes. He says, even the demons believe and tremble. That word tremble means to shudder or to bristle. In other words, they not only believe in the reality of God, but they're smart enough to be scared. That kind of faith that demons have, the kind of faith where there's nothing more than a confession, James calls that dead faith. Now, when someone's coming to a place of salvation, it's not dead faith. Because they're confessing for the first time, they're responding to the gospel, they're responding in Jesus. But can I tell you, there's many people, and I sit them down, and they're very confused, they're very frustrated with their faith, and they believe in Jesus. They believe in God. And yet it's been a very long time since they actually activated their faith. They stepped out and did something with God. They responded to their belief and activated their faith. Now, who knows that, um, you know, when you have a muscle and you're not working your muscle out, who knows that it grows weaker, right? Who knows, when, <laughs> who knows when, you know, you have been working out and then you stop working out and that muscle starts to get saggy. What's it called? Flussel. I like that. Flabby muscle. Flussel. Right? 
Now, let's use the analogy. It's getting weak, isn't it? It's getting tired. It has less capacity. It has less power. It has less strength. The same is true for our faith. Now, James is being challenging on purpose. He's being quite... He, his words in this book that he's written and this message that he's gave the people was designed to shake the room up. Okay? So he's using extreme examples. He's talking faith that's alive versus faith that's dead. Okay? But what he's saying is, is that there's also... What, what, what's really going on is there's a transition, that your faith can start to die. Even when you believe in Jesus, your faith can start to die because you're not activating, you're not exercising your faith. And so as a Christian, I think it's so powerful for us to come into this revelation that it's not just about having faith. It is for our salvation. But beyond our salvation, God wants us to be exercising, exercising, exercising our faith so that our faith grows stronger and stronger and stronger so that we can walk out this great walk called the walk of faith so that we can actually demonstrate our faith in God. We can demonstrate that God's real. We can demonstrate the promises of God. We can demonstrate the anointing. We can demonstrate that we can hear from God. We can demonstrate that we can obey God. And when we obey God, then things happen. And then that can be a demonstration of God's reality. And then that's really how the kingdom grows. And so there's a strong undercurrent theme about activating our faith. Now, I want to talk a little bit also about faith not being alone by talking about there's actually, again, this same theme. There's kind of what we call intellectual faith, and then there's practical faith. Intellectual faith, another example of kind of where your faith is just not really activated, it's just intellectual and it's kind of more on that dying side, whereas faith being very practical, stepping out, activating your faith, keeps your faith strong and alive and vibrant and flowing. So let's have a look at this, these two kinds of faith. The first one is intellectual faith. For instance, when you're at high school, you learn some of these um, algebra equations. Any Learn any weird algebra equations when you're in high school that you never use practically in your life since you've left high school? Here's an example of one. This one went like this. V equals U plus AT. Everybody understand that? Okay, so just in case you're wondering what in the world that means, the, the letter V stands for the final velocity of an object, U stands for the initial velocity, and A is the acceleration at 9.8 meters per second squared, and it is the amount of time that has passed. So I know that that's made a whole lot of sense to you, right? <laughs> so, first of all, the question is, is that formula true? Yes. And it would make more sense to you if you're a maths teacher, but is it true? Yes, actually it is true. But for you, it's merely an intellectual faith. It has no practical bearing on your life whatsoever unless you jump off a bridge. Amen, that you won't do that. Let's give another illustration. Here's another mathematical fact. 10 minus 5 equals... Now, that's a whole different ballgame. If you go into a shop with $10 and you buy something worth $5, how much change are you expecting to receive? And if that shop assistant tries to give you $2, you're going to say, hey, pal, where's my change, right? So this mathematical fact that 10 minus 5 equals 5 is not just intellectual faith for you. It's practical in its meaning for your daily life. You can apply it. Does that make sense? It's real. You can apply it. This first kind of faith, intellectual faith, is what James calls dead faith. It's true, you believe it, but you're not really using it. Come on now. 
The second kind of faith is what we might call practical faith. It's real, but it means something. There's more to having faith than just saying you've got faith. For instance, what if I go around telling everyone that I'm a giraffe? And if I did something crazy like that, you'd be looking for something we call evidence. You'd say, but a giraffe has four legs, antlers, a long neck. It's incredibly tall. Hello? (laughs) That doesn't sound like you at all, Pastor Brad. It's exactly the same with a person who claims to be a Christian. It's not enough just to claim it. Everyone say, ouch. Everyone say, owie. There has to be evidence, proof of the faith that a person claims to have. Now, again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about being saved by works. It's not about getting love from God by what you do. No, your identity is secure in Christ and Christ alone, in His fullness, in His greatness. You're made right by God because of Him. Having said that, after that, we start to respond. And we start to tap into God, spend time with God, read God's words, speak God's words over our life, pray for things, start to activate our faith by stepping out, stepping out in our own personal life with our own personal dreams that God's given us and our goals, stepping out and blessing other people, being a part of a community, knowing that you're not called to focus just on yourself, that your life is bigger than you and you alone. And here's the thing, if faith doesn't lead to a transformation in behavior, it's dead faith. Does it mean that it's not faith? No, it's faith, but it's dead. Come on now. John the Baptist pretty much said the same thing in Luke 3, verses 7 to 14. Chapter 3, verses 7 to 14. When people respond, responded to his preaching by asking, what shall we do? He told them, Give some food to people who don't have any. Give your spare shirt to someone who doesn't have one. When the tax collectors asked him the same question, he said, don't collect more money than you're supposed to. When the soldiers asked, he said, don't intimidate people. Don't falsely accuse people. Be content with your wages. So it's the same as what James is saying. Faith without works is dead. Real faith leads to a transformation in behavior. Does that mean, again, you're going to hear me? Repeat myself. I do it on purpose because while I'm standing here in the anointing, it's not me. The Holy Spirit will prompt me. I will usually repeat things because sometimes the way people hear things, we'll hear something, but we won't hear the other part that brings the balance. So that's why I purposely repeat myself a lot of times when I'm preaching because I've got to be mindful that you get the revelation, but you get it holistically in the healthy way it's being preached. So again, I'm going to repeat myself. You are not saved by works. You are saved by faith alone. But from that place of grace, mercy, forgiveness, we respond to what God has done and bought our, pri- our life at His price, not ours, by now actually wanting to walk with God and starting to make some changes. And that's called faith activation. That's called faith and works. And that means that we're growing in the things of God. Can I get everyone to say amen to that? All right, I want to just finish up with a little bit more teaching. What I'm going to ask is, I ask for 
all of those getting water baptized, I'm going to give you now the little cue to go and uh, transition to get your shorts and t-shirt on. So let's just give them all a little bit of a round of applause as they do that. I'm going to ask Pastor Jace if you can come up. I want to finish the teaching today on what I call faith substitutes. So things that sometimes try to substitute our faith. So the final point, I want to give you two common substitutes for real faith. The first one, are we ready? The substitute for real faith. So this is the thing that can stop us from really activating our faith and actually, you know, practically putting some works in place to actually activate and demonstrate our faith. The faith substitute, first one. The first one is talk. Write that down for me. There's an old saying, when all is said and done, there's a lot more said than done. Let me read that again in case you missed it. When all is said and done, there's a lot more said than done. Jesus told a story in Matthew 21, verses 28 to 31, that illustrates this. And this is Jesus' story, so let's listen in. Great teaching from the Lord himself. He illustrates this by saying, A father had two sons. And he said to the first one, Son, go and work in my vineyard. But his son had better things to do than work for his father. He said, Not a chance. I've got things to do. People to see, places to go. But later on, he had a change of heart and went to work. In the meantime, the father went to the second son and told him to go and work in the vineyard too. Sure, said his second son. Not a problem. But he didn't go at all. He never went. And then Jesus finishes his teaching with a question. And he says this, which one, asked the Lord, which one did the will of his father? Which one? Well, it's pretty straightforward, but the question was causing people to think. Not the one who said he was going, but didn't go. Not that one, obviously. The one that did the will of his father eventually change his heart. The one that did the will of his father was the one that did more than just talk. Went out into the vineyard and actually did some work. So Jesus right here in his own teaching to you and to I is actually teaching his disciples Who here is a disciple of Jesus? He's teaching his disciples that talk is not enough. That intentions are not enough. That real faith translates into real action. That's what Jesus himself was teaching his disciples. I mean, imagine if Jesus himself... I mean, His Holy Spirit is here. His presence is here through the Holy Spirit. His Word is here. The Bible says that that He is the Word and was the Word and always will be the Word. So Jesus is here as we preach the Word. 
The Holy Spirit is here. But imagine if Jesus actually walked from the back door, came down here, probably would step and just walk over the water. <laughs> Wouldn't go around it like me. Suppose it depends what kind of mood he's in. Stepped on up here. I mean, if you think about it, we'd all just be like, wow, he's here. He's like, actually, he's, you know, his body's here. That's cool. And you know what? We'd all become like puppy dogs. <laughs> As in, you know what dogs are like to their masters? You know, they're willing to do whatever. Throw the bone. <laughs> we'd be leaning in to every single word. We'd be in tune with the glory of God just permeating out of every pore. We'd be in awe. And in that moment of being in awe, because he's awesome, he'd probably say and remind us and confirm how much he loves us, how much he adores us, how excited he is that we're part of his family. He'd probably remind us because he knows we're humans and we have stuff sometimes that we still deal with in renewing our mind. He'd probably take a good amount of time to, to strengthen our mind in the Word and to reaffirm your identity in Him. Just by Him revealing Himself, it would, in His very presence, affirm your identity in Him. But I think He'd take a moment and He'd just preach the kingdom. He'd teach the kingdom. He'd talk about the amazing love of God. He'd talk about the power of God. But imagine after he did that, that he then went into this teaching. And he started to, through love and by love, to politely and gently challenge us all that it's a season to activate our faith. To activate to step out, to get out of our comfort zone, to start to build that spiritual muscle. I mean, did he not do that? Who is it that stepped out of the boat? Peter. And what happened before Peter stepped out of the boat? What was Jesus saying? Was Jesus not saying, hey, come on, was Jesus not saying step out of the boat? Was he not encouraging him? Was he not challenging him? Why did I just do that? Why did I just use that whole analogy? Because something that you'll always hear in this house, because I think it's one of the biggest weaknesses of the body of Christ right now on a personal level, is what I just did is I got your heart and your mind to appropriate if Jesus himself was here, yes, he'd preach love. Yes, he'd teach about the goodness and grace of God. But he would also challenge us. 
Because that is who he is. Because he wants us to grow. So why am I saying all this? So that you and I get more and more used to receiving sometimes a challenge from the Word of God, who is Jesus Christ himself, the Bible teaches. So that we can become mature when we hear a message about God's grace and his love, but also about God encouraging us through this book called the book of James. So the first substitute is talk. The second substitute for the kind of faith that results in works. So faith that leads to works. Sometimes we substitute that type of activating faith with another thing. And get ready. Everyone just put your seatbelt on. Just lock it in. Just hold on to your chair. Can you just hold on to the side of your chair? I just want you to hold on because there might be a chance that just one person might, for a fraction of a second, not for too long, will be slightly offended. Just hold on. Everyone just, just brace yourself. You ready? Okay. <laughs> Here we go. The second substitute for the kind of faith is prayer. What? You say? Are you against prayer? Not a chance. I love prayer. We have prayer teams. We have all types of prayer teams on all different levels. We believe in prayer. We've got Prayer Warrior herself that written a course here, does teaching on prayer. Prayer is absolutely essential. I mean, this is the house of prayer. So don't get offended, particularly if you're into prayer, because I am too. Prayer is absolutely key. What am I saying? Well, what we're saying is, do you know that for some people it's actually easier to pray than it is to do something? Come on now. Prayer is good. Prayer is an activity that every Christian should be engaged in. But prayer was never meant to be a substitute for action. Jesus was a man of prayer, but he was also a man of action. This story is told of Martin Luther, who had a friend who was a monk. And both men were convinced that there was a great need for the Reformation in the time. And so they agreed, this is a true story, they agreed that Luther would go out into the world to do the work, while his friend would stay in his cell and pray for his success. But then one night, the monk had a dream. And in his dream, he saw a single reaper out in a vast field trying to reap by himself. And as the monk watched, the lone reaper turned around and he saw that it was Martin Luther. He knew then that he had to go and help Luther in the work that he was doing. So if prayer sometimes becomes a substitute for godly action, that prayer becomes an escape from actually stepping out and activating our faith. Now again, don't get offended because we believe in prayer. But who knows? Come on now. I get a text message from Sandy. 
Sandy, text me something. How convenient is it? How easy is it to reply back going, awesome, I'm praying for you. Now that's thoughtful, that's great. But who knows that just sometimes, come on, let's underline the word sometimes, God is asking us to open our heart and our ear and our head and sometimes to think, God, is that all you want me to do? God, is that all you want me to do? Lord, let me ask you, is that all you want me to do? Sometimes it might be. And if you pray and you're diligent, that's awesome. But sometimes prayer can be a substitute for works. So let's go back to our original question. Does Scripture contradict itself? Are Paul and James at odds with each other? Not at all. The key to the whole mystery is found in verse 26 in our passage in the book of James. It says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. James uses an analogy to show the relationship of faith to works. It is like the body that contains a human spirit. A live body has a human spirit within it. If not, then the body is dead. In the same way, a living faith has the works already within it, waiting to be done. If not, then that faith is dead. So this morning, I want to encourage you and I, I'm encouraging myself here. It's a season for us to activate our faith. Everyone close your eyes in this place. As we're closing our eyes, I'm going to ask for the people who are getting water baptized just to come and sit up the front. You guys can make, but I'm going to ask everyone to still have your eyes closed. Just put your hand on your heart. Father, I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for your teaching this morning. I thank you, Father, Lord, that our our salvation comes by faith and by faith alone. I thank you, Lord, there is nothing that we can do that will make you love us anymore. I thank you, Lord, that there is nothing that we can do to be saved unless we just give our hearts to Christ and accept Him. That's the only way. But I thank you, Lord, that beyond that, Lord, you are wanting us to activate our faith and to exercise our faith. I hear the Lord say there are some people here and it's time to start exercising your faith when it comes to your family. I hear the Lord say there are some wives here and there's some different things that needs to start happening with how you relate to your husband. I hear, some, hear the Lord say there's some husbands here and there's some different things the Lord's wanting you to do to start to relate to your wife. I'm hearing God say, don't just pray for change. Be the change, says the Lord. I'm hearing the Lord say there are some people here and you're desperate to see something change in your workplace and finances. I'm hearing the Lord say, don't just pray, but get out that resume, refine it, renew it, 
Look for jobs. Do the practical things. Activate your faith. Step out. Believe to get interviews. Believe for a promotion. Start to action your faith by doing some practical things that back up what you're praying and believing for. I'm hearing the Lord say that there are some students here who are wanting their their studies or their results or their scores to go to the next level in school or university. I'm hearing the Lord say, don't just pray for those things, but to actually step out. I'm even seeing a vision of you Googling on YouTube study skills and practically putting some things in place in response to your faith. I'm hearing the Lord say, there are some people here and you want to grow in the things of ministry and you'd like an opportunity to step up. I'm hearing the Lord say, well, don't wait for a door just to open and don't just pray, but actually personally assess what is it that you might need to work on in your own world, in your own mind, in your own identity to shift or to fine-tune to be prepared and positioned for an opportunity, the one that you're asking for. Father, I thank you, Lord, right now for every single person in this place, Lord, wherever they are in life. And I thank you, Father, Lord, that you're a faithful God. And I thank you, Lord, that this is a season for us to step out and to activate. I hear the Lord also saying, there are some people here who are excited about potentially participating in our missions trip at the end of the year. I'm hearing the Lord say this, be ready, don't just pray. Be, be ready to start maybe saving some money, fundraising, stepping out. Hearing the Lord say, there are some people here who'd love to develop the ability to pray for someone and bring healing in someone's world. I'm hearing the Lord say, don't just read about Jesus healing people in the Bible or praying about it, but actually step out by actually praying for someone who is sick Step out and activate your faith, says the Lord. Beautiful God, Holy Spirit, encourage people. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, you're encouraging people right now. I thank you, Lord, that with you nothing is impossible. But Lord, it's not just belief in you, but with you, with you, walking with you, stepping out with you, partnering with you, activating our faith with you, with you, with you, nothing is impossible.